Our reading this morning continues in the series from the book of Ecclesiastes that we have been following over the last few Sundays. And today we're going to be reading chapter 5. You'll find that on page 673 of the church Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and starting at verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God... Do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. If you see the the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. As everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Amen. Great, thanks David. Yep, do keep your Bibles uh, open on page uh, 673. Uh, But I thought I'd start with a question this morning. Uh, Perhaps it's an obvious one, but one worth thinking about. 
Do you believe that it is important to worship God properly? Do you believe it's important to worship God properly? You see, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and as we get to chapter 5 today, we're going to be spending a bit of time thinking about how our being with God affects our doing for God. Okay? How our being with God affects our doing for God. Put it another way, how the way in which we worship God impacts the rest of our lives. Now, perhaps you're not even sure what worship is. That's right. Oh, I just lost my clicker. There we go. Perhaps you're not even sure what worship is. Well, simply put, worship is saying about anything or anyone that you are the thing or you are the person worth building my life on. You are the one thing that if someone took it away, my life would would not feel like it is worth living. And it's possible to say that about anything. It's possible to say that about family. It's it's quite possible to to worship our family or idealise them. It's possible to worship our children or money or sex or a person close to us or our work. Now, we may not physically bow down in front of them on a weekly basis, but actually there's a part that we treat them as if they were gods. And the problem with that is those things make lousy gods. They really do. Because as it says in verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. But not just money, Anything has the potential to consume our desires and turn us into worshippers. You see, those things, they promise us a lot, but they can never satisfy. They can never satisfy our deepest desire. As we saw last week, as we were looking in chapter 3, that desire that God has placed inside each one of our hearts for eternity. Those things, those gods cannot satisfy that desire. But you see, as we've sung about already this morning, Jesus Christ isn't like those other things. He really isn't. You see, Jesus promises a lot. He promises eternal life to his followers. He promises to be faithful to us. He promises life in all its fullness. But the difference is with Jesus, he keeps his promises. He is not like those lousy gods. He is worthy of our worship. But not only is he worthy, you see, when we understand worship of God, worship of Jesus rightly, our lives will be different as a result. Our being with God affects our doing for God. Because at the end of the day, whatever it is that you are worshipping, whatever it is, you will eventually become more and more like that thing. This is why we need to spend some time thinking about this today. Okay? So let's ask for God's help as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us this morning to think biblically about worshipping you properly. And please help us not to just think about it, but to do it too. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So as I said, we're looking at how our worship, how our being with God affects our doing for God. And firstly, we have to admit that there's a problem. 
Okay? There is a problem. Ecclesiastes 5 tells us that the problem with people's worship that actually leads to many of the problems in people's lives is primarily a problem of order. Okay? It's, it's a problem of order. Each one of us have disordered how things should be arranged in our lives and it's a mess. Okay? Think of the Garden of Eden. You have, you have Adam and Eve uh, living under God's rule. We've got Adam and Eve living under God's rule. And God has given Adam and Eve authority over the animals and over the rest of creation. God, his people, the rest of creation. But then in Genesis 3, the serpent comes along, who they listen to and they believe. You see, they put the serpent above God's. In God's rightful place. They listen to him. And they in turn, they want to become gods themselves. They want to think and live as if they were God. And they push God down. There's this, there's this hideous upside down reversal of the way things should be. Of the way worship should be. But it's also a picture of how sin plays havoc in each one of our lives as well. It's a great disordering of how God created the universe to be. Because of sin, we don't by nature properly relate to God in worship. We don't. And one of the ways you will certainly see this, as we see in our passage, is through a failure to properly listen to God through his word. Look down at chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 5, sorry, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Let's, let's think a bit about what that might have mean at the time. So uh, for a faithful believer during the time of Ecclesiastes when it was written, uh, proper worship would involve going up to the temple in Jerusalem, particularly at certain times of the year during festivals, and the priests would prepare a sacrifice for you. Perhaps a sacrifice of a lamb, or if you were poor, a sacrifice of maybe some birds. And then you would go and listen to God's words. You would go and listen to, to what was called the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible. And perhaps uh, they were being read or sung aloud. And you would have had other psalms and readings as well. God's word would have been read and sung out. And this is what someone should do at the time to worship God properly. They would go to sacrifice and they would go to listen to God. But the teacher is saying that there's two responses someone could make as they go to worship God. The first one, as he starts off, is by saying, guard your steps. This is someone who guards their steps. That's describing a careful, a considered, a humble way of approaching God in worship. Basically, God, I've come here today to listen to you through your word, the Bible. Okay, I've come here today to listen to you. And that's the same motivation we should have when we come together to worship God. God, I've come here today to listen to you. But the second approach is what he calls to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's basically hurrying in without any thought of who or why you are worshipping. This is, God, I've come here today so that you can listen to me. And so I can get my needs met. I'm feeling some sort of way, God, and I want you to fix that before I listen to what you've got to say to me first. 
That is the sacrifice of fools. That is foolish worship. The first way says worship is about God first and putting him first. But the second way flips that on its head. It's doing like what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden. It says, no, 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 it's primarily about us. It's about getting our desires, what we want done first. That's why we're here today. It's about what we can get out of worship. And that's what all the foolish vows are part of. Verses 4 to 6. These are people making rash vows to do something for God when they actually have no intention to do it through. You see, they're not starting with that idea of worship being primarily about listening to God, about putting God first. I wonder which one of those two responses do you feel resembles your normal attitude to God on any given Sunday or throughout the week? Are you more like the person who guards their steps and comes respectfully to listen to God? Or do you just rush in carelessly? Sunday is just like any other day except, well, some of the shops are shut, so we better come to church. Now, if I'm being honest, what, what humbles me as I read this is actually just how impatient I can be when I come together with you all to, to worship God. Is it just me? Well, it might be. But why might this happen? Well, as the teacher says, a big part of why, why maybe I or maybe you are impatient is because we actually live lives full of distractions. Full of distractions. Look at verse 3. It says, A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. What the teacher is saying here is that when we are experiencing distractions or stressful situations, our bodies and our mind can suffer. So if we're weighed down by lots of different things that are trying to distract us, we are more likely to have disturbing dreams or nightmares. I'm sure you've experienced that. You end up getting less sleep. You end up with ongoing fatigue and perhaps even depression. And what is surprising is just how common this is. This was written thousands of years ago, but it's still so relevant today. So many people, perhaps this is you, live with some low-level anxiety and stress in their lives that actually causes them sleeping problems. Now, sometimes these might be partly or, or wholly biological. Don't want to discount that. But actually, it's worthwhile thinking about if there is a distraction there is causing that. That distractions in our lives may be causing us to lose sleep. But they may also be playing a part in us having a faulty approach to how we worship God. Let's think about what that might be. You see, it might be something that's, that's currently happening in our family. Or maybe a stress or, or pressure or uncertainty at work. Or maybe it's something in our own personal lives that, that nobody knows about. Now, God doesn't just want us to forget about those things, come to church as if they don't exist or they don't matter. Rather, he wants us to remember them in their right place. He wants us to view them properly, without on one hand despairing about them, or on the other hand just giving in and worshipping them even, making them the, the goal, the thing that we live for. You see, we don't want to fall into either of those traps. We want to prioritise God. 
We want to prioritize God above everything else. Whatever the distraction is, God must come first. If we're ever to break free of this cycle of impatience and distraction, good old C.S. Lewis, can't go wrong with a quote from him. He he, he understood this. He, He wrote, aim at heaven and you will get earth. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You see, if you pursue God, if you make him the focus of your worship on Sunday and throughout the week, the things of earth will will just, they won't be a problem to you anymore. But if you make those your gods, if you make those things the thing that your life is focused on, you will never get what you desire. You will never get what your heart is craving for and you'll forget about heaven. So how do we begin to do this? How do we aim at heaven and get earth thrown in? Well, the passage says, firstly, we do it by practicing two things. Awe and silence before God. Awe and silence. Okay? Look at verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. So firstly, the teacher gets us to remember who God is. Okay, This is the way we're going to combat this breaking free of this cycle. We remember who God is, and then we remember who we are. So who is God? Well, he says, God is in heaven. He rules over everything. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He created all things. He sustains all things. He is beyond our wildest dreams. He is full of compassion. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind and powerful. He is gentle and just. We could go on and on and on. Remember who God is. God is in heaven. But who are we? Well, it says we are on earth. As we saw last week in chapter 3, we're born and we die. We get sick and we get tired. We sin, we get things wrong, we are weak, we are tiny. We live for such a small amount of time. The teacher says, remember these things. God is in heaven, you are on earth. Remember what God is like and what we are like. And when you are knocked over by the fact that he sent his son to save you, you will be speechless, silent. Lots of people like going out at night and looking up at the stars. And many of them describe a sense of feeling awe. They feel awe when they look up at the stars. I mean, the stars seem so vast and we are tiny. That is good. That is good that people go and get a proper perspective of how small we are in the universe. But if you stop there, I would say you've only gone halfway. You see, the second and more important part from seeing how small we are is awe at how big God is and what he has done. Don't stop at the stars. I wonder what might you say if you stood over Niagara Falls looking down, apart from, I feel sick. You might say, it took my breath away. The size, the power, the majesty of it. And Niagara Falls is just a tiny pointer to the size and the power and the majesty of God. 
After all, he created it. He thought it up. It's like a little picture of how awesome God is. So when we think about what God is like and how small we are and that he came to save us in his son, Jesus, it should bring about great awe and silence. Because what can you say about something so awesome? Words escape us. I wonder, can you remember the last time that God took your breath away like that? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Have you ever experienced that? Awe and silence. If you haven't, ask God to fill you with that awe at who he is and what he's done. Ask for it today. That's what it means to to fear God. That's what comes up um, frequently in Ecclesiastes. And and it's there at the end of verse 7. He tells us, therefore, fear God. That's what it means to be full of awe and silence at what God has done and who he is. That isn't like the fear of a bully on the playground or a fear of flying. This is a deep and astonished awe at who God is. And this is what we must capture if we are to ever understand our doing for God properly so how should we live in the light of this awe if you if you have experienced that that awe and science of who god is and what he has done how should we live in the light of this this wonder and fear of god what should be our right doing for god this is what we're going to look at next oh, i got that bit wrong there we go that's right well firstly don't make vapor your aim Don't make vapour your aim. Look at verse 10. It says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now that word, as we saw on previous times in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, that means vapour. That means something like smoke. It's there one moment and then it's gone. It is meaningless. Now whether that's money or career or respectability or even good looks, Those things do not last forever. They are like vapour. They are meaningless. So don't make them your goal. Okay, don't make them your goal. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Once we get our worship of God on the right track, we then begin to say, Actually, I'm not going to build my life on those things anymore. I'm not going to make those the things that I chase after. Because I can see that they don't last. So don't end up making success or money or reputation your number one goal in life. Because, friends, it will not last. It is vapour. It is meaningless. Well, what's the alternative then? You see, there is a way to store up something that does last. There is a kind of doing that does last. And we get a clue of it in verse 12. Look down with me. It says, The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. What this is saying is actually there is a benefit for those who are poor. There is a benefit for those who are poor. You see, in one sense, 
they may not worry about losing all of their stores of wealth and treasure because they don't have it to begin with. They're not open to that temptation, perhaps in the same way that someone with much wealth has. So as the teacher says, they can sleep happy at night. They don't have to worry about losing things that they can't hold on to anyway. They're in one sense in a a better position than the rich because it's easier for them to see where true treasure lies. Not in things on earth, but in things in heaven. Not in this life, but things in the next. But what he's saying is that it's harder for the rich to see that. It's harder for the rich to see that. There is, in one sense, there's an extra hurdle, there's an extra obstacle that they've got to overcome if they're to see this properly. If you don't believe me, go home after church and read Mark chapter 10 with Jesus talking with the rich young ruler. You see, Jesus says the alternative to storing up treasures on earth is storing treasures where? In heaven. He says nothing will destroy or steal the treasures that you store up in heaven. So how do we prioritise what we do with our lives? Well, a good way is to focus on stuff that lasts forever. Like your relationship with God. That will not be taken away from you. What about praying for your friend to become a believer? Keep on praying. That will not be taken away from you. Or what about offering to meet up with someone and then read the Bible together? That will not be taken away from you. What about deciding to be unashamed at college or school or university or work or in the home as a Christian? That will not be taken away from you. Or by being there for a friend who needs your help and support and prayers. You see, those things are all heavenly treasures. They will not be taken up what you store in heaven. When your worship with God is as it should be, you want to do these things more and more. Out of that awe, out of that silence spent with God. You want to do these things as an act of worship. An hour and ten minutes on a Sunday can't contain it. You want to do it more and more. You want your whole life to be an act of worship. But before we end up thinking that all God cares about is evangelism and prayer and Christian work, we'll look at verses 18 and 19 to see what else it says. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their loss and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. Now, whether you are rich or poor, however much you work, God says there is a way that you can do that for, your, for his glory. And you can get enjoyment out of it as well because you are doing it for his glory as an act of your worship. You see, if you have God as the focus of your worship, he is able to give you a sense of satisfaction and joy in the rest of your life. Because your joy and your satisfaction comes from somewhere else. You're not trying to look for it in those, in those things. It comes from God. Because your life is built on Christ and you are free to serve him through your work. 
whatever it is. So do it for his glory. Whatever you work at, do it for him. I'm going to finish with this verse from Colossians. Let's come back to that this week. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who worship you properly. Help us to be full of awe and silence as we worship you. Help us to work out that worship in our lives, in jobs, in the home, wherever, so that you might get all the glory and we might be free to have joy in whatever we do. And we ask this in and through Jesus' name. Amen.